0: I believe that uh, when we walk in intimacy with the Lord, our whole life changes. Your past, your present, your addictions, your struggles, the things that people have done to you, the way people have abandoned you or labeled you, the things that you have partnered with in your heart and mind, I don't care what they are. Only He has the authority to tell you who you are. We have to ask Holy Spirit to download His heart. To our heart, we have to be people who raise their hands and say, I'm here, this is my city, this is my region, it's not somebody else's problem. Our inheritance is the fullness of God given to us through the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the enthronement of Christ, where he received the Holy Spirit. And scripture says that he poured the Holy Spirit out upon the church. And when he poured the Holy Spirit out upon the church, he also poured it out upon individuals. And our inheritance as individuals is that we have the fullness of Christ. If we have said yes to Jesus and we have invited the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us, that we have the fullness of God in us and available to us that we can function in and live out. And that is our inheritance. Our inheritance is the nation. Our inheritance is the lost. But our inheritance really ultimately is knowing God our Father, knowing Christ and having the Spirit living in us. And our inheritance is the ability to walk that out and to live that out, to have access to it. And so as we've been talking about inheritance the last couple weeks, I've made it a point to make sure as a church that we are not putting religion on anybody. Religion says you have to not worry about your heart. You have to follow the rules. And we want, boo, exactly. And we want to be a place where we get to walk in the freedom of who we are in Christ without that religious Oppressive spirit that that wants to derail us and make us feel hopeless and make us feel messy, and so we want to be, to make sure these last couple of weeks that we are exple- expressing as clearly as we can that Jesus Christ has accomplished all of this for us and it is freely given to us as an invitation to come into the full life of Him. That we aren't earning it; we're not jumping through hoops. So no, none of that. But today I want to shift gears a tiny bit and I want to challenge you guys. So if, you, if you're here today and you haven't heard the first two weeks, you might, it might sound a little bit like um, I'm telling you to just get your stuff together and figure it out, and, 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 but that's not at all what I'm saying. So go back, listen to the first couple weeks, then listen to this message again, because I want you to understand that our inheritance is fully available through Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Our inheritance is fully available, but available does not mean optional. So as believers, we are called to access our inheritance, not so that we feel good, which I want us to feel good, not so only so we have encounters with God, which I want us to have encounters with God, not so we have an amazing prayer life, I want us to have amazing prayer life, not just so we have great worship times, I want us to have powerful worship times. Our inheritance is available to us so that we can make Jesus famous. Our inheritance is available for us to do the very things that Jesus has asked us to do. 1 John 2.6 says this, whoever claims to live in Jesus, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Whoever claims to live in Jesus has to live as Jesus did. Good luck doing that in your own strength. Amen. Good luck doing that in your own power and your own wisdom. You're not, you have no shot. It is only God never requires anything of you that He hasn't already given you and equipped you in. This is the great thing about the relationship we have with our Father is that He never gives us anything that He or requires anything from us that He hasn't first given to us. Matthew 5, 14 and 16 says this you are the light of Of the world speaking of you as believers in jesus a town built on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven your task if you will if i can use that word your task is that you would be a city on a hill that you would be a light that is shining out and that the light of your life, your inheritance is the light and life of God that shines out of your life. And your responsibility is to use that to draw people to God and to glorify him, that they would see the things that you're doing and they would go, God, we worship you. God, you're amazing. So this is our, 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 our inheritance being available does not in any way mean that it is optional. But our inheritance is not earned. It's not earned. This is not a job or a wage. This is a free gift of the Holy Spirit that lives in you and rests upon you. And we get to steward that, and we get to receive that, knowing that we have not earned it. But as we have not earned it, I want to I say this to you today. Your lifestyle matters. You're not earning it, but your lifestyle matters in this equation. So if he has truly poured out his spirit without measure, as John 3.34 says, if I lack anything on, of his outpouring and the inheritance pouring out of my life, guess what? It's not him. It just might be me. I don't know if there's any other parts in this equation, but I'm pretty sure that if he pours out his spirit without measure and the spirit is not overflowing out of my life, This part of the equation is set. This one may be a little bit wonky, which is one of my favorite words to use from the front. Wonky. He should be pouring into you, and the overflow of his outpouring should be a life fully alive in Christ, moving in the gifts, moving in the Spirit, setting people free everywhere you go, changing atmospheres, shifting people to believe and to know, and carrying that ministry of reconciliation that you're called to carry and to do it. Powerfully. If you have a hose and a spigot and I show you that I can turn the water on full blast and you can all agree that the water is coming out full blast and then I close it and I attach the hose and I turn it back on full blast and we go to the end of the hose and it is only a trickle of water coming out, the problem is not going to be at the source. The problem is probably somewhere along the way on the hose. If it's in my case, it's probably because I'm standing on it. And going, What's wrong with the water? It's not coming out. <laughs> Something is standing on it. Something's kinked. Maybe there's a hole, I don't know, but you're not going to go, oh, clearly when we turned it on, it stopped working. It's going to say, what is it along the line in this hose that isn't allowing what is being sourced to flow freely out of it? And the, thing that I, the reason I say that illustration is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to stop asking for what we already have. So when you ask for what you already have access to, what you're doing is you're subtly shifting the blame for your lack from your lifestyle to God. Does that make sense? God, I need your power. God, I need your hope. God, I need your love. God, I need your joy. God, I need your breakthrough. God, I need to see this. I need this. I need this. I need this. Would you please give it to me? Would you please give it to me? I've given it all to you. But what happens is when I'm not accessing it and I'm not functioning in it, instead of looking at my lifestyle and going, maybe there's things, ways that I'm thinking, ways that I'm talking, ways that I'm behaving that are hindering the overflow of the Holy Spirit out of my life because I know that the source is set. But if I keep blaming the source, I don't ever have to take responsibility for my life. So we have to stop asking for what we already have. We need to start worshiping or what he has poured out and then asking him how do I come into alignment perfect alignment how do I live my life in alignment with you so that my life can be an overflow of the fullness of Jesus Christ Galatians five nineteen through 21 says this the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality impurity debauchery idolatry and witchcraft hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions and envy drunkenness orgies and the like I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We love reading this verse and like picking out the worst one and circling it and being like, well, I'm not doing that. So I guess I'm kind of, can we just talk about not having orgies? Can we just talk about that? Because I'm pretty sure I'm set in that area. No, let's talk about not losing your temper. Oh, oh, come on. Let's talk about debauchery. I'm sure I'm not doing anything debauching. I don't even know what debauchee is. Is that that thing where you play the sport? I'm not doing that. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Impurity. I'm not even going to look at anybody. And he said that and he looked right at me. How did he know I was a debaucher? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What did Jesus come preaching? Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. And when you look at that in the original language, what that means is that the kingdom of God is here. It's within reach. And he demonstrated the kingdom through signs and wonders and power. So it was unmistakable. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It is a matter of what? It's a matter of power. So Jesus came as an ambassador of the kingdom, demonstrating the power of the present kingdom, saying, turn from this fleshly kingdom and turn to the Father's kingdom, Turn to the eternal kingdom. And so he showed us that the kingdom of God is here and now, not some future place. The problem is, is that we take this verse and we read this, and we begin, in our, as the religious spirit begins to rise up in us, we begin to be gatekeepers. We use this verse to say, oh, if you do any of these things, you don't get to heaven. And then we make a list of all the things. If you did this or this or this, you're not going to make it to heaven. This is not about heaven. It's not about getting to heaven. This is about heaven coming And living in you and through you. So if you are living a lifestyle where this is your normal, there's a very good chance that the Holy Spirit is not going to be overflowing out of your life in hope and joy and love and signs and wonders and miracles. You're not going to inherit what you inherited as a co-heir in Christ. The fullness of the kingdom and experiencing it in this life, experiencing it now. Not inheriting the kingdom, it's not a future warning that you're not going to get to heaven. It's a present warning that we would be able to look at our life and go, oh no, why am I worried about heaven if I'm not even seeing heaven as a reality in my life right now? It's a present warning to say, wake up. Yeah, eternal life, it's all there. But look, if you want to see it in your life, you can't live this way. There's a good chance that if we're talking about operating in our inheritance, that our lifestyle matters. If you're not inheriting, if you're not presently experiencing the kingdom of God, it could very well be because of a lack of faith in your adoption as a son or a daughter, or it could be lack of follow-through in your actions in the lordship of Jesus Christ and what he's calling you to, to walk out in obedience. When we're not experiencing the fullness of God in Christ in and around and through our lives, we become sick. Religion makes us sick. It is hope deferred. You guys know the verse, Proverbs 13, 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. What it means by deferred hope is when we as believers aren't experiencing the present reality of a, res- of a resurrected Christ and an indwelling Holy Spirit, when we're not experiencing that as our reality, we are saying, oh, all the, all the hope that Jesus brought, it's all for the future when I get to heaven. And so we live going it's okay that i'm not experiencing that as my present reality because when i get to heaven i will i will have that all the while what we're doing is we're deferring hope to a future place instead of taking responsibility for how we align our lives with god here and now and so we're not experiencing the fullness of what scripture says that we should be experiencing on a day out and uh, day in and day out basis and that defers our hope and so we sit in church and we sing songs about the fullness of God. We sing songs about the miracle of God. We sing songs about the presence of God. We listen to messages about this, but we never experience it in our life. And we go, that's okay. I'll experience it when I get to heaven. But our heart is dying inside. We're sick with religion. The antidote of that is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The antidote of that is bringing our life before Holy Spirit and saying, where is it that I am doing my own thing? Where is it that I'm not living in alignment with you and living a lifestyle of humility and and, 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 and owning our stuff and confession and repentance and saying, God, bring me back into alignment with you so that the overflow of my life would be the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that I would be fully alive. We don't want to have this style of following Jesus where we defer everything to the future instead of realizing that all of God's promises are currently right now, yes and amen, in Christ Jesus. Galatians 6.8 says it this way, the one who sows to please his flesh from the flesh will reap destruction, but the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. The one who sows to please the flesh will The flesh will reap destruction, but the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And this is eternal life. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life for you began when you die in Christ and come alive in Him. That's what eternal life is. It is the fullness of a life that is embedded and anchored in eternity doesn't have a beginning point. It is the life of Christ that is in us. And if we just sow our behavior, our behavior doing what we want, what we want, what we want, you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna begin to reap destruction because all we're doing is making decisions for what satisfies us and what we want. But if we come into alignment with the Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want? And we begin to align with him and sow into those things, what's gonna happen is that we will reap the reality of eternal life here and now as well. As in the future. And so we want our hope to be present and future, not deferred so that our hearts are getting sick. John 15.2 and 15.5 says it like this. This is Jesus. This is the vine dresser. He cuts off every branch in me, Jesus, that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So what we want is we want to live a lifestyle where we are aligned with Jesus and where the things in our life that are not bearing fruit, we give him permission to remove those things. And then we give him permission to say, in the areas of my life where I am growing, where there is life happening, I give you permission to prune those areas of my life. It's not all fun and games, is it? Sometimes you want to take things off of my life, and then when things are growing, you don't just go, hey, I'm glad they're growing. You're like, let me prune that a little bit. Let me just mess with that a little bit. But this is what he's doing. Why is that his heart? Because his heart is that we would experience the fullness of life. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is what he wants to do. He wants the fullness of our inheritance to manifest in our life here and now that we would bear fruit, that the things that aren't would be removed, the things that are, that he would continue to build up so that we can bear more and more fruit and we can glorify him. Proverbs 3.11, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. God wants to discipline us to fruitfulness. See, discipline is not about punitive measures to make us change behavior. Discipline, healthy discipline, always restores us to identity and always restores the standard. So parents, you can use this at home. You can either discipline your kids to say, I want you to behave a certain way because when you're behaving a certain way, that pleases me. And when you're not behaving a certain way, I'm not pleased with you. Therefore, you're going to get a discipline, a consequence that returns your behavior to what pleases me. And you can teach them that and this is how they will believe that God is. When I'm behaving a certain way, I please God. When I'm not behaving a certain way, I'm not pleasing to God and he will punish me to get me to stop acting that way. But that's not how God disciplines. How God disciplines is that He comes to us and He restores us to identity. He's not about our. Behavior change, he's about our heart understanding, the goodness of a father who wants to be alive through us. He restores us through resetting the standard and by speaking identity over us. That's not who you are. See, sin is never what? Sin is never a behavior issue. It is always an identity issue because you have forgotten who you are. And if you know who you are, you won't do the thing. So So the Father's heart is to tell you who you are over and over and over and over and over and over. And when he disciplines us, he is reminding us of who we are. Because when we know who we are, we know how to carry ourselves. We know what to do. We know what not to do. Because we have a sense of identity that's been given to us by the Father. So this verse... In Galatians, is teaching us, this verse in John is teaching us that we should stop sowing into the flesh, and we should start growing in the Holy Spirit, and we should allow him to prune our life and to remove things that hinder the outflow or hinder the overflow of what he's already given to us fully. There is no lack in him, and if he is given without measure, we have received without measure. So our freedom has to be stewarded said that it is for freedom that I have set you free. Why why would he say freedom twice? You know what? Because some some of us are so dumb (laughs) that when we are given freedom, it actually leads us into bondage. And so he gave you freedom, and then in that same verse, he gave you a goal for that freedom that he's given to you. The goal is that you would have more freedom, that your freedom would always be stewarded to more freedom. If I take it and I turn it into liberty which we can, I can do whatever I want. I'm free in Christ. I can do this behavior. I can do that behavior. I can do that behavior. Sure, you're right. And you can make a biblical case for that, that you can do whatever you want. But Paul, as you guys know, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, you have the right to do anything. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. You see, maturity takes freedom and might restrict some of your liberty so that you can experience more freedom. I know you're all like, "Well, I don't even know what happened. I was I was looking at the car going by." <laughs> it's cool. I can just be impressed with myself. It's all right. <laughs> maturity, when we are walking in the maturity of the Holy Spirit, there's a good chance that we can be like, "Oh, I can do all this stuff, but maturity will limit your liberty." Yeah. So that your freedom is stewarded to more freedom and not into bondage. Some of you at the end of the day, you're going to be holding your right to drink a beer or to curse out somebody or to Look at some things you shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this. Why am I making a list? I, forgive me, take it all out, take it, take it, take it. If I look at anybody, you're all like, he was totally talking to me. <laughs> he knows, how did he know? Some of us at the end of the day, we're going to be holding, we're these freedoms that we fought for, we're going to be holding those freedoms and it's going to be all we have to show for our life is that we maintain this freedom, but we're not even seeing Jesus in your life and he's the one that gave you the freedom in the first place. So if you want to talk to me about freedom, yes, you're free. You're free to display Christ in every single area of your life. You're free to submit your life entirely to the Holy Spirit and ask Him permission for what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Your life matters in the equation of walking in your inheritance. And the religion that we're so happy to escape, you would find yourself in bondage on the other side in liberty. So good on us for escaping from religious bondage. Bad on us if our freedoms are not displaying Christ in every area of our life. It is for freedom that I set you free. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Is that whistling? I'm assuming that was whistling. It was like, woo, good job. (laughs) Right, everybody? You all good? Woo, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, uh, yeah, okay. So, If you're sitting here going, he totally said that for me, uh, I promise you I didn't. I promise you. I said it for me. So if you have a father, you have an inheritance. And for some of this, this sounds impossible, but we have to remember that we have a promise in Jesus. John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. If you have a father, you have an inheritance. Jesus promised when he left, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And some of us, again, have taken this verse and we have projected it way into the future for when Jesus returns. And we've gone, yeah, when, when, when he comes back, he didn't leave us as orphans. He didn't leave us fatherless. No, he didn't leave us fatherless. He didn't leave us as orphans. He came to us, Acts chapter two, that he went and he poured out his Holy Spirit, that it is by that spirit in us that we are able to cry out what? Abba, Father, that we have been adopted. This is the fulfillment, Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of John 14, 18, that I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. You will not be fatherless. And because you're not fatherless in Jesus Christ, you have an inheritance. You have everything that you need to live a life fully alive in Christ. And if you don't know that, you're going to wake up every day and you're going to go, what do I have to do today to appease my master so that he's pleased with me? Or you're gonna wake up every day and your eyes are gonna pop open and you're gonna go, what a joy it is to have a father who loves me and he's proud of me and has a purpose for my life today. What can I do to give that away to somebody today? The inheritance of God is irrevocable because what is done in Christ is done for eternity, but accessing it in my life and in your life is a choice. And accessing it in my life and in your life is a, is a lifestyle. And if I'm being a little bit too hard on you, I'm just going to say, go back and listen to the first two messages because it was all about the freedom of the Holy Spirit being poured out on you. But I want to call you guys to account. I want to say, I want to see Jesus alive in you. I want to see him moving through you. I want to see you, see you experiencing the stuff that you're supposed to be experiencing so that you're not deferring hope to a future place and all the while living sick in religion. So inheritance, for us to walk in our inheritance, I want to just give you some application of this this teaching. Numbers 32, Exodus, it tells the story of the Israelites coming out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. The, the Israelites that came out of Egypt had only known slavery and Moses led them out and you guys know the story and they walked out into the wilderness and God tried to make a covenant a direct covenant with them that he would say I want to be face to face with you I want to be your God I want you to be my people and they said no we reject that covenant we just want rules so we want the law and so God said okay you can have the law so he demoted their covenant that he offered to them and he offered them the covenant of agreement around rules and they said we don't we're afraid of you so just we, we're slaves and in Egypt We had all these gods, and when they put them on the mantle, we worshipped them, and it was fine. But here you are—you're this god that has that has lit this mountain on fire, and we see lightning and thunder, and we don't want anything to do with that. So just give us the rules. And he said, "Okay, I wanted you to be my people. I wanted you to be a holy nation of priests, but all—but we'll do this." And so he put them into covenant, and they were still. Their hearts were so confused because they had a slave mindset. And they continued to complain against God and they continued to doubt God and they put him on trial time and time and time again to the point where God said, enough, you've already broken this covenant that I made with you. You've already broken it like 67 times in one day. That might be a paraphrase, but you can go look at it. You can go look at (laughs) it. And because they kept doubting God and they didn't believe God and they they went against some of the instructions that he asked of them, that he said, this is not going to work. This generation of people who have believe and act and live as slaves, this generation is going to pass away and I'm going to raise up a new generation who isn't born into bondage and they are born in freedom and I'm going to take those born in freedom and I'm going to lead them into this promised land. And so he walked with people for 40 years. He didn't just go, hey, away with you. I don't like you. I don't want anything to do with you. He walked with people for 40 years. He didn't let their sandals wear out. He didn't let their clothes wear out. He fed them every day. He gave them water every day. So he didn't abandon abandon them. He walked with them. But he rose up a generation of free people who were born in freedom to be able to access the promises that God had for them. The Israelites, Joshua 5, 6, the Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years, Until the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. So to the Israelites, they learned something really important, that inheritance doesn't mean a free pass. They learned that inheritance and take possession are synonymous. That God was asking them to walk into, in victory, to take possession of the promised land. That I'm not simply going to give it to you, even though it already belongs to you on my promise. It was theirs. And it had been promised to them through Abraham and every generation since that. It belonged to them. Of that there was no doubt, because he swore on his name. And yet he was looking for people who would be able to access that and step in into it and would understand that taking possession is the same thing as having an inheritance and so there was a generation of people led by Joshua that were willing to take the risk to fight the giants to walk into those places to to fight the battles and to move into that place and so to to inherit the land to them really meant that they were walking forward and taking possession of it how do we apply this in our current day conversation about our inheritance in Jesus Christ Here's how I want to apply this. I want you to know this. Old mindsets have to die for us to take possession of God's promises in our life. Some of us are believing old lies. Some of us are having a slave mindset. Some of us are walking in old ways of doing things. And God is bringing you to a threshold today and has been. And he's bringing you to the threshold of this place. And he's saying, before you are all of the promises that I have for you in your life. And and you go, well, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to get them? And he's like, I already got them for you. In fact, they're secure. They're in me. But I want you to walk in them. I want you to experience them today. I want you to experience them tomorrow. I want you to experience them in your everyday life. And you go, okay, well, what, what does that look like? And I said, just go fearlessly. Go and fight. Go and take possession of those things. Those promises are there for you. And you're going to go into that hard place. And my promise is going to show up. And this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. And you're like, no, no, no. I just, I, can we do the one where you simply get rid of all the enemies and all the hard things and then I walk into my inheritance? What about that one? Where's, where's that plan? And he goes, no, that's not how this works. So he says, you know, there's places in your life where it feels like you're believing lies about me, about yourself, or about your circumstances. There's only three types of lies that we have. Believe what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about our circumstances. And so for the people, things around us. And so God says, let's put some of that to death. Let's go for a walk. Son, let's go for a walk. So he walks us around and he talks to us about who he is how he's created us and what he's made for us to do. And he walks us around, he walks us around. And all the while, what's happening in that place, that intimacy with God, is that our alignment, our identity is being restored and our identity is being set right. And those things in us begin to die off. Those false beliefs, those, those slave mindsets begin to break off of our life. Because you can't take a new mindset or old mindsets into new things, and so he brings us back to that same threshold. Where we're like, "Hey, how come we can't get in on that side over there where we just were over there?" And he brings us back to that same spot and says, "All I'm asking you for is to lay down this this area of your life—some lie you're believing about yourself or about me, about people, about your circumstances. I want that to be gone." And he brings us to that place, and we go, "Okay, now we're ready." And then he steps us through into that promise. We get to walk through that. And there's a powerful thing that begins to take place when we understand that those old mindsets that are hindering us from accessing the fullness of our inheritance today, in this day and age, in this moment, are things that we're believing that hinder us. And he wants those to be gone. And he'll walk with us, and he'll be faithful and patient with us, and he'll walk with us and walk with us, walk with us until our minds align with his mind and we're able to step fully into the promises that he has for our life here and now. The other thing that we see from this story that I love is that what you learn in the wilderness empowers you to stand in your promises. So what you're learning in that time, what the Israelites learned in their wilderness, it empowered them to be able to walk in, take possession and stand in the promises. See, God doesn't want us to live in a false start culture. A lot of us are good at this. We get all excited and we go, oh, today's the day. And we run out there and we plant our flag in the promise of God. And as soon as the enemy shows up and goes, boom, we're like, phew, phew. See, it's in the journey that we are strengthened to be able to stand in the promise when the enemy wants to fight us off of it. He wants to show us things in our process that strengthen us so that we can possess the promises that God has for us. And some of us, we hate the process. And we want the shortcut. We just want to get can we get to the place of the promise. Can you get, do this and begin to do this? If you got out there and began to stand in God's promises, it would probably squash you if you weren't strong enough to stand in you know? them. If you want a shortcut, you may arrive at the place that God wants you to be, but you may not be strong enough to remain there. And it is in walking with him that he uh, he speaks to us and empowers us and enriches us and builds us up so that we can stand in those places. He doesn't want a false start culture where we run out and run back. He He wants us to take possession. Inheritance is synonymous with taking possession in your life, and he's building that up for you to be able to do that. What you learn in the wilderness empowers you to stand in your promises. Jesus learned in 40 days what it took the Israelites 40 years to learn in the wilderness. Because Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit and the Israelites were following law. And the Spirit led Jesus out into that wilderness place and each each of those places of identity were challenged. And as he said yes to God's identity, what God, what his father spoke over him, who his father said he was and what his father was asking him to do, each time he stood in that place, the enemy was pushed back. This was the same thing that the Israelites were learning for those 40 years. And Jesus demonstrates for us what it looks like to live that life Submitted to the Holy Spirit, what was it that transpired out there where Jesus could walk out of the wilderness in power? Sometimes it is in the wilderness that the lessons that you will learn take you from just being full of the Spirit to walking out in the power of the Holy Spirit into the very assignments that God has for you. Don't hate the wilderness, but also don't camp there and find your identity there. The wilderness is to pass through, not to build cities in. Build lifestyles in, hang out in, get out of there as he shows you the things that you need to learn and moves forward. It's in taking possession of the promise that we develop the strength to stand in it and remain in it. It's in the fighting and the choosing to step out into our promises and not back down that we are gaining strength to be able to remain in those promises and continue to take new ground in our life. This is a powerful reality of what he wants to lead us into. So let's apply this for just a couple minutes. Math is hard. I've got it. You guys all right? I should, I, it says like check on everyone and make sure that they're okay. All right, stretch it out. Move it around. So sometimes we don't take possession of our inheritance because we're caught up in temporary pursuits or because we're indifferent to what we've been given in Christ. I want to talk to you for just a minute about Esau. Jacob and Esau, this is a great story about inheritance. It's a great story about birthright. It's found in Genesis 25, 29 through 34. Once when Jacob, they were brothers. Esau came out first of the womb first. So he was the one who received the birthright. He was the firstborn son. And it says that Jacob for his whole life was grasping at that birthright. He wanted the blessing of the father and he wanted to receive that birthright. And so Jacob was always conspiring to get ahead of Esau in the line of inheritance and the line of blessing. So once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came from the open country and he was famished. He was a hunter. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of the, real, the red stew. I'm famished. See, even the Bible repeats itself. You can't get mad at me. Esau came from the open country famished and he said, I'm famished. <laughs> Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. Okay, can we just talk about giving up our birthright because we're filled with drama and we believe stupid things? I can't stand in my inheritance in Christ because it's just so hard and I don't even know if I can get out of bed. Lie. But that person might be mean to me. But that thing is... Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore on an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread some lentil stew. The New Living Translation says he went about his business, Esau. He went about his business, his life, indifferent to the fact that he had given up his birthright. He was indifferent to his birthright. He was indifferent that he'd given up his inheritance. Why was Esau so quick to give up his inheritance besides drama, believing lies, is That he wanted instant gratification; that he was trading, he was trading something that he held for temporary satisfaction. So, if you show me somebody who isn't laying hold of their eternal promises of Jesus, if those aren't showing up in their everyday life, I will. There's a very good chance that I will show you someone who is living in, for temporary gratification; that they are getting their needs met by quick fixes, shortcuts, and temporary things. And what God is asking us to do to honor our inheritance is not to be like Esau where we keep having our needs and our desires and our dreams doled by temporary satisfactions, but that we step back from what is temporary and say, God, I will wait on you. Stir up a hunger in me for the things that you have created me for. Stir up a hunger in me for the things that are only alive in me in Christ. Stir up a hunger in me to be a man or a woman of righteousness set apart for you. Stir up a hunger and let me quit satisfying my hunger for you with quick fixes in this reality and in this time and in this place. I want to hunger for you. I do not want to be dulled by you. So the question that I have for you this morning is what needs are you meeting your way that are quick fixes instead of God's way, which might require some patience and some perseverance and some process? And what would it look like? What would your life look like if you let go of those temporary things? And you just began to say, stir up a fresh hunger in me for the things that you are and the things that you have for me. Hebrews six ten through 12 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that you, your hope may for, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me read it from up here. Uh, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Sometimes to walk in our inheritance, it's going to take a little bit of faith, maybe a lot of faith. It's going to take a lot of patience. But the encouragement in the book of Hebrews is that we wouldn't lose heart in that process, and that we would be like those who've gone before us and waited on his better instead of settling for just okay for now. The other reason that Esau was so quick to give out give up his birthright or his inheritance was that he was indifferent to what he had. Genesis 25, 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, he ate and drank, and then got up and left. He went on about his business, his life, indifferent to the fact that he had given up his birthright. Indifferent means to treat with contempt. It means that he despised it. He thought lightly of it. He had little value for it. He had complacency towards it. He had a meh attitude. Meh. How many of you have meh attitudes sometimes where you're like, I just don't really care. Meh. Sell me your birthright. Meh. All right. Here. You can have it. Because... He wasn't valuing what he had been given. And he wasn't valuing his inheritance. He wasn't valuing that birthright. And he treated it with contempt. And he treated it with complacency. And I think that can be easy for us is that you and I can begin to live lives of indifference to the things that God has given to us and that he's poured out freely. We can begin to live lives where we're indifferent to the call and the purposes that he has on our life. We can live indifferent. And a a day of indifference is fine, but a day becomes two days. Two days becomes a week. A week becomes a month. A month becomes a year. And before you know it, we have simply settled into a comfortable lifestyle where we are indifferent to the fullness of who Jesus Christ is and what the Holy Spirit has poured out upon us and our call and our purpose to be a city on a hill, a light that shines out glorifying him, to be people who walk like Jesus walked. And we live in that complacency and it begins to surround us and it begins to tell us how comfortable it is and it begins to tell us that you are safe here and that out there is scary and you shouldn't take those risks because fear is a great counselor. Fear is not your friend. Fear wants you to be in bondage. Fear wants you to experience lack. Fear wants you to live a Christian faith that is hope deferred so that your heart goes sick in your relationship with God. So we kick fear in the teeth and we say no more complacency, no more taking lightly what God has given to me. I want to walk in the fullness of my birthright as a son or as a daughter. I'm ready to rise up Where have you grown indifferent to the fullness of Christ and what he's poured out in your life? And imagine with me what it would look like if you broke off that complacency and you just said yes again to him. That's your inheritance. That's the fullness of what he has. So having an inheritance, this is what having an inheritance in Christ means. It means that all of heaven is behind you. All of heaven is behind you. We say it around here all the time. It's impossible for us to even articulate how much heaven, how much God, how much the Holy Spirit wants to get behind you as you live out a radical, supernatural faith in Jesus Christ. I can't even put it into words, how much heaven wants to get behind you, the things that heaven wants to do through you. I can't even describe it. And yet we forget that. And we walk out there and we just go about our life. But remember this, because you have a father, you have an inheritance. And because you have an inheritance, you have everything that you need to live out the fullness of who you are in Christ, to live a lifestyle of overflow, and to live a lifestyle being fully alive in Christ. I believe that there are unclaimed inheritances all over this room. And I don't say that to shame you, and I definitely don't say that to judge you. I say that to encourage you that there is inheritance after inheritance after inheritance after inheritance after inheritance after inheritance inheritance fully available to you that is going unclaimed. Your lifestyle matters in this equation, not because you're earning it, but because you are a son or a daughter who stewards it. Slaves get by with just enough, but if you are a son, you're a daughter, you can be trusted to steward your inheritance to the glory of your Father and for His purposes. And these are the inheritances that you have in this room. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. The gifts and the call of God on your life are irrevocable. They've always been there. It took Holy Spirit pouring into you to activate them to their fullest, but they have always been there. This is the picture I see. Picture I see is Jesus standing before Lazarus' tomb. saying, Lazarus, come out, and his voice echoes into the tomb, and Lazarus wakes and comes to life and comes staggering out of that tomb, that before you, Jesus is standing in front of your life, and he's calling into these unclaimed inheritances. He's calling into these gifts and purposes and anointings that are on your life that aren't being, that aren't being used, and they're not functioning right now. It doesn't mean that you have failed. It simply means that you need Jesus to stand before your life today and remind you and say, come out, dreams, come out. Anointings come out. <laughs> Freedom come out. Breakthrough come out. Gifts of knowledge come out. Gifts of prophecy come out. Prayer language come out. Supernatural miracles come out. Systems and structures to release businesses in this city, come out. Ways to see marriages revitalized, come out. Ways to see kids come fully alive in Christ, systems, blueprints that are being downloaded for you, how to lead, come out. Come alive. I put those in you. Those are irrevocable. Those are mine. I gave them to you. I want you to have a lifestyle where you are in alignment with me so that what I pour out of me comes out of you. And God, where we have broken our alignment with you and we are complacent, we're doing our own thing. We forget that our freedom being stewarded into too much liberty actually affects your ability to pour out yourself into us so that we overflow and we confess and we say, God, put us in alignment with you. Empty us of anything that is keeping what is flowing out of you from flowing out of us. Right? I'm all done. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, (laughs) no more unclaimed inheritances in this room. Every single one of us, a son or a daughter, and we are brought into relationship by saying yes to you, Jesus Christ. There is no other way but through you, and as you, we have stepped through you, we have stepped into what it means to be co-heirs with Christ, and as co-heirs, we have received everything that was given to Christ. Everything that belongs to Jesus by nature is now ours through grace. Come on, learn that phrase, that'll change your life. Everything that belonged to Jesus by nature is now, you can now access through his grace, and so God, We pray for unclaimed inheritances to rise up, to wake up. We pray for dreams to rise up, to wake up. We pray for people in this room right now that are feeling stirred by your spirit to make shifts in their lifestyles, that they would do it not out of a sense of shame, not out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of performance. They would do it because of a heart condition where they want to be presented before you, ready to receive the fullness of who you are and ready to watch it overflow out of their life. God, let us be light. Let us be cities on a hill. Let us live our lifestyles in such a way. I pray for people, evangelists and prophets and teachers in this room, that there would be apostles, that there would be shepherds, gifts in this room that have gone dormant, that would be released and raised up right now in Jesus' name. We pray for assignments and dreams and ideas to wake up in people's lives right now, blueprints to be downloaded. We pray that there would be people coming to know you, Jesus, not because we're getting people to come into this room but because the people in this room are rising up and walking out in the fullness of who they are as sons or daughters and that that is bringing people into your kingdom, and that that is returning sons and daughters and prodigals are coming home. Why? Because we were prodigals too and we know what reconciliation tastes like and we know what it feels like. God, let people in this room lead masses of people into relationship with you. Let people in this room raise up businesses that change this city and the structure of this city. Let people in this room be downloaded with systems to change crime, to change homelessness, to change drugs, to change abuse, to change sexual trafficking. Raise it up in us, God. Let it not be somebody on a stage. Let it not be somebody famous somewhere else. Let it be us because we are your sons and your daughters. And because we are sons and daughters, we have an inheritance. And in our inheritance is the fullness of everything we need to change this world. Let it be, let it be, let it be. Stop asking for what you already have and start living in what you've been given in Jesus' name. Ah, You have it all. You are called, you are equipped, you are anointed in Jesus' name. You stand before God, holy and blameless in Christ without a single fault. And when you stand before him, he says, that's my son, that's my daughter. And he says, watch what grace looks like when I pour it out on their life. He's showing off in you if you will let him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.